Hello and welcome to the Football Grad Podcast. My name is Manu Weff and I'm joined as always by Tim. Hey Tim and smoky morning this morning, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is a bit smoky in Vancouver and uh, I assume like obviously on the island. Uh, yeah, we have some fires going on in, in Vancouver and it's obviously affects the 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 view and uh, the, the, the oxygen. Yeah, very smoky indeed. I guess that's not really an issue where you are, right, Andrew? Joined by Andrew Flint, as always, from Siberia. How's it going over there? Yeah, not bad, thanks, Manu. Um, I mean, the pictures you sent off um, the skyline looks impressive at first before I realized what was causing them. But here, yeah, it's pretty pretty muggy overhead, but that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter about outside. All about discussing Russia. Yeah, and uh, we're actually going to stay in your geographic area because... Tim, um, you are actually originally from Siberia and, uh, you just penned a really nice article on Football Grad about, oh, the Siberian Derby and your favorite team. And, um, yeah, I want to, want you to, to chat a little bit about that. Um, first of all, you are from Novosibirsk, right? And, uh, I'm just curious, what was it like there to grow up, you know, post the, the Soviet Union, of course, collapsed, uh, in 1990 and um, was gone in 1991. And uh, what was it like to grow up, you know, immediately following the Soviet Union in Novosibirsk? Yeah, like uh, I was born still in the Soviet Union. I was born in 1984. So for the how many, like uh, roughly five, six years, I still was a Soviet Union citizen. And then um, I became a Russian citizen. I was a kid, but I remember that it was um, a lot of things was going on on TV. Nothing was in in my town, like in, in Novosibirsk, everything was happening in Moscow, and uh, they had obviously some, it wasn't a civil war, but there were some different, different obviously, some uh, problems. And uh, that whole transition between Soviet Union and Russia, that was quite a time. It was like, you know, they didn't have constitution for a little bit. It was quite a, an anarchy uh, in terms of country. But like I said, I was a kid, so I didn't really understand that. For me, it was the same. I was just waking up, going to kindergarten and then going to school. So, uh, But I remember my parents talking talking about it. And um, But to be quite honest, my life didn't really change, um, like I said, as I was a kid. Uh, but... Then I ended up being the citizen of of a different country, and um, yeah, just I lived for in Novosibirsk for twenty two years, and obviously I played football there and watched uh, quite a lot of football, and that's what the article talks about. Yeah, so growing up in Novosibirsk, it's um, you know for for listeners who don't know much about it, it's it's a huge city, isn't it? Um, it's a <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it is. It is like I think it's all close, like 1.5, maybe close to 2 million uh, population. It's a big city, one of the biggest in Russia, and obviously less than Moscow and St. Petersburg, but it's still a big city. And the way the city became big, because about 150 years ago, it was it was pretty much not a village, but it was a very small town. But when the Second World War started, uh, they started shipping uh, the factories from Moscow and St. Petersburg. And that's how actually the factory, from what I understand, the factory which gave the name uh, and uh, like the the origin of the club which i supported uh, called chikalovitz uh, that's how the, the the it came about because they shipped the 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 plane building factory mm. 
to to Novosibirsk, and that uh, that was a factory team. So by shipping all those factories to to the city, that obviously gave our city kind of like the the design, the architecture. We have a lot of factories. It's not the most beautiful city uh, in 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 the world, but uh, you know I'm proud to be Siberian. Actually, I wa- I'm proud to be Siberian. Like I'm Russian, and you know that's my citizenship. But the thing I'm proud of is like really being Siberian. That's that's my that's you know that's what makes me happy. And um, like I said, growing up there, I played football. And um, lots of, yeah, there's lots of factories, lots of people work in those factories. And uh, like I said, that was very, very an- anarchy. Uh, not, not like in, in uh, like I'm obviously exaggerating, but uh, people didn't have jobs. They were, there was no really, it was, it was, it was a bit chaotic because my, pa- my parents both had to find new jobs because their old jobs were not paying. My mom was um, um, like a professor at the university my dad was an engineer and then out of sudden when the when the, the, the country changed uh, they were not making much money so they had to look for other um, opportunities it is an interesting quote by um, a historian or i think it's actually who wrote a book and it's called everything is forever until it is no more and that must have how it must have felt like when the soviet union collapsed because in living in a country like that you don't think that that's ever going to end. And then all of a sudden it does, doesn't it? And the entire, the entire, all the economic principles that you grew up with, the, the economic situations that you grew up with, the, um, the history that you grew up with, all of a sudden it's all turned around, isn't it? Exactly. Even though you're absolutely right, they had to redo the books. I remember that for the first couple of years, we still had the Soviet books, like in school. Because I went to school in 1992, and that's what's really, really on the verge of, um, you know, the whole transition. So they obviously still had Soviet uh, books in school. And then I remember maybe year three, maybe year four of school, they started bringing in those Russian books. And the history, we started history at year year. Um, four. And I remember that sometimes teachers had to say, uh, like, Okay, we're skipping this paragraph because this paragraph is no more. Like it doesn't apply to us. We go into this chapter because this is, you know, this is what makes sense. And then eventually they they switched, uh, like by like sometimes maybe year seven they switched all the books to Russian books. But I remember that the first books, yeah, it still said Soviet Union, and they said no, we're not Soviet Union anymore. We we're called Russian now. And of course, one of the big changes was that the the Soviet Vishaya Liga was gone, which was what was a mega league that spanned the entire soviet union um and and included the big teams right it was almost like a champions league of of soviet football but with the collapse of the soviet union that was all of a sudden gone and that opened the door for a whole bunch of smaller teams didn't it absolutely yeah the first year was crazy like uh lots of team like because just imagine like what was soviet liga was you had dinamo kiev you have shakhtar you have dinamo Tbilisi, dinamo minsk like the half mode like you know it, there was only a few russian teams played in soviet liga that would be probably spartak dinamo CSKA, lokomotiv and torpedo so five team out of 16 were russian team and then the rest was was different so obviously when let's say half of the league left, um, 
they brought on uh, lots of smaller teams. And like, remember, I think on the previous pods, we talked about how Akiana Hodka played in, in, in Perva Liga, how Energia played. So that opened up with the gates for all those teams which joined. And obviously the, the level of the, the football was way down compared to the Soviet Union League. And as you know, if, if, if listeners know for so Spartak won nine champions uh, championships out of the first 10 years so that just showed um you know the level of competition and uh, the level of football which you know they just played back then in russia and um that, but that also opened the door for your local team because Novosibirsk would never had a chance to play anywhere near professional football right um, because of the size of the country i think they they were down in the um, the Russian championship that, which was part of the Soviet Union, but they were not n near, near anywhere close to play in, in an all, you know, national league. And that changed when, you know, and this is something you define in this article that changed all of a sudden in the nineties, didn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Like, like the, the Novosibirsk team had a few names and I don't, they never played in the top tier of Soviet football. And um, they never had any successes in, in cup. Um, but uh, obviously, yeah, in the 90s, the, the club which I supported, when I started supporting them in 1994, they were still playing in what was called Vtaraya Liga, the second league. But actually, it was the third tier of Russian football. And the article, I, I, like I told the story of how they progressed from that third tier of Russian football to the second tier of Russian football. That was a playoff game against a team called Dynamo Yakutsk. And that was my first big experience of watching football life. And that was a successful one. Maybe that's one of the reasons why I fell in love with football. And then obviously the next year when they played in the second tier of Russian football and they did quite well, the whole city was surrounded about uh, around the team. It was very, very exciting to watch. They had, from what, like, as long as I watched football in Novosibirsk, that year they had the highest capacities every year. It was always around 10, 12,000, which, if you compare now, sounds just crazy, because right now they probably gather about 1,000 to maybe 3,000 people coming to those games. So it was it was a massive hype about the football back then. Yeah, I, rem I remember um, when I did my research for my PhD dissertation, one of the things that I noticed that in the, in the 90s and the early 90s, both the first and the second division had high attendances in their stadiums. Um, there's an article about uh, Astrahan that averaged, they averaged 12,000 a game in the second division. And uh, they, they attribute some of that to, of course, uh, economic problems that football was very cheap to go to, right? It wasn't, it wasn't an expensive thing to do. Whereas cinemas and uh, theaters and restaurants and all these other things, they weren't really accessible because of the, the transition of the country from communism to capitalism. So, I mean, that was one of the reasons why all of a sudden, you know, even second division football did quite well. And it, it says a lot about the country, doesn't it? That, you know, people are going and supporting this, these local sites. But there's, and it must have also been a lot of enthusiasm about it, right? Because all of a sudden you had the chance to play against the big boys. And in your article, you point out the Siberian derby, which is a really fascinating, um, fascinating read, by the way, on footballgrad.com. But that was something that didn't really exist for that club before because they played in such a small regional league, right? And all of a sudden they were playing with the big boys and they were playing derbies. And that must have been something really exciting when it first came in. 
Exactly, absolutely right, Manuel. And then uh, in the article, I tell the story so that uh, when they made from the third tier of football to the second tier of football, which is pretty much the same as FNL right now, uh, from playing uh, local regional football, they would have to travel to you know St. Petersburg, which is a far, far, uh, four fl- four hour flight, and then at the same time in the same season in the same league, they would fly to Luch Vladivostok, which was another five hours. Uh, but then we just lucked out, and we had uh, this team called Zarya Lenin's Kuznetsk, and they were only 200 kilometers uh, away from us. But at the same time, it was in the same league, in, in the, in the what, we, like, what you call is big boys league, yeah, like FNL. For, for that club, it was massive success being an FNL and playing this local derby, uh, which is where you didn't have to fly for a few hours, so you can just take a bus. Yeah, I mean, and Andrew, you know all about travel, right? Uh, with two men, uh, you are in this, you are in this division, the FNL. And I don't want to go too much into travel. We've touched that many times, but you know, you support an FNL side right now. And uh, there is, there is, for some of these teams, there's a lot of excitement about playing in this league, isn't there? Well, absolutely. I mean, I can still remember you talk about the promotion, Tim. And I mean, I, I don't have, the same depth of connection that you had to your local side. But, you know, I've, I've been following Chumen for three years in the second division, the third tier. And the there was the last game uh, against Volga Ulyanovsk. And, well, not the last game, but it was basically the last critical game. If we won, it would go up. And it was away, but they had it. They opened up one of the oldest cinemas. In fact, the oldest cinema in the city. Um, and they sold tickets and screened it live in there. Um and it, it's a completely different world. The first the first game I went to here, um, I saw a professional footballer try and kick a five-yard five pass first time, and he completely missed it and fell on his ass. Um, you know, my, my, it was my wife's first game of football, and she thought, why are you so bothered about this weird sport? He can't even kick the ball. I mean, he literally <laughs> couldn't kick the ball. Um, and to go from that, seeing teams like Chelyabinsk and, and well, at the time, <laughs> at the time, Gazovic Orenburg, um, they were in the second division a few years ago. And at the time, I didn't know much about them. And then suddenly, a step up. Suddenly, we're only a step away from the Spartaks, the Krasnodars, the um, Cisco and Moscows of this world. And of course, we have had Kuban Krasnodar, Angie, Dynamo, Moscow in the last few years. So the step up is just. It's remarkable, and it's so, so exciting. Um, I mean, in a realistic sense, my excitement has been punctured somewhat by our very underwhelming start to this season, and that's been kind. But, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the step up from... It's not just... This is the thing people have to understand. It's not just a step up from third tier to second tier. It's exactly. a step up from regional to national. Mm-hmm. And there's, exactly. it's very hard to encapsulate that unless you're in a country quite as big as this. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, I tell you what, exciting is one word, um, terrifying is another. There are many adjectives to describe the Fenel, the second tier, um, but one thing it can definitely not be called is boring. So, uh, but you know, Tim, we all have our memories of how we got to football, and for you, of course, it was this promotion. And you write an article about how you got to meet some of these players and. I think we all, especially, you know, we have to remember a lot of our listeners are living in England and uh, their first step towards football is in many ways the same way. And what I think what I, what encapsulates this article in some ways is the, the familiarity that you have right around the world. Everyone has that 
everyone was taken by their father to a game um, at some point and fell in love with it and had some kind of exciting um, moment where they said, like, this is the sport that I want to support. This is a sport that I want to devote my life to in a way or not, right? And I think what touches people with, especially with the piece that you've written, is the familiarity. And yet it's, you know, Andrew, you know Russia. I know Russia. Tim, you are Russian. Um, for us, the country isn't strange, but for a lot of people, it is. And I think reading this article, it really realizes that, you know, people have the same hopes, dreams, etc. where you're from in Novosibirsk, a place that most people probably couldn't identify on the map. And that's no disrespect. That's just the reality, right? Um, but, you know, you grew up there and yet, do you think it's really that different um, when you talk to people? Because you have the other, other perspective. You have the perspective of growing up there and then coming to the West and then talking to people about their memories um, to, about the sport. And I'm, I'm really curious, what is it like for you? Manu, you said it very, very well. It's exactly the same. And like now, like you said, I have an opportunity to talk to Canadians and see how they bring their kids to, to, to the sport. And it's exactly the same. The feelings are the same. Okay, maybe our Novosibirsk stadium was not as comfortable. We had benches and uh, we didn't have like those nice seats that we have in uh, the uh, BC place in Vancouver. But the emotional aspect, it was exactly the same. Um, again, they didn't they didn't sell jerseys. It wasn't impossible. Like here is the tradition when uh, they take here kid to the first hockey game. They buy uh, they they buy them a little jersey and maybe a hat. There was no such thing in, in Novosibirsk. But the emotions of watching the game, I remember watching the World Cup 1994, that was my first World Cup, and then also watching Ajax Amsterdam play uh, the Champions League when that was the beautiful side. And then going to the stadium, and like I, I understood it was completely completely different level of football, but at the same time, the excitement was still the same. Like when I was excited when like Russia was doing well, like they didn't do well, but when they won against Cameroon and I was excited as a kid uh, watching that game in the World Cup and I was excited seeing Brazil win the World Cup. And then the same emotions watching Chikalovic play against Dynamo Yakutsk. So yeah, like you said, for Russia is a weird country for the people who never been there, who don't, don't do not know much, but I can guarantee that emotions as a kid watching the game it's exactly the same. We're just all people. We all have the same passion, the same love uh, for, for the beautiful game. And when you see that for the first time, you experience for the first time, I'm sure this can come across uh, nationalities and continents and countries. It's the same excitement about the beautiful and wonderful game of football. And I want to take this a step further. And I know I'm putting you on the spot here, but Tim, you were quite a good football player. And uh, you, you didn't reveal this to us. <laughs> we, we knew each other for a few weeks already. It's like, yeah, you just dropped it casually. It's like, yeah, when I played in the second league in Russia. So um, I'm putting you on the spot here. You actually played in this league or for the, one of the youth sides. Um, yeah, so tell us a bit about that. Oh, you put me on the spot, man. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, um, so yeah, since I was a kid, I, uh, I lived close by to the, to actual, to that stadium. Uh, it was called Spartak. And my dad supported Spartak all the time. Like, that's how I got, to, uh, got into Spartak. So for me, there was no, I always liked football since I was a kid. And I always wanted to play. And for me, there was no other club 
which to go to. There was quite a few clubs. There was Chikalovitz Club, which the team which I explained uh, talked about, and there was Spartak Club, and that was close to my home. It was also the the same name as my favorite team, and uh, so uh, at the age of six, I started playing for them, and um, I had. Yeah, I, I did well, and the team, I just lucked out that the team, which I just was close to my home, ended up being the best youth club in the city. And we did well because we went to play in Hungary, we played in United States of America as kids, like we played those international tournaments. Then um, I didn't go, but also our team went to play in Sweden and Denmark. We obviously played all across Russia, we played all, all the different youth uh, championships, and obviously all across uh, Siberia. So, yeah, it was like, it was professional sport even as a kid because i remember when we had five days of training and then we had a game on saturday and then we had only one day off on sunday and that was my life for good 15 not 15 for good 10 years and um yeah and then in the last year our club like spartak youth club was acting as a a farm club as like a youth team for um for the the team which we supported and then we played in this the level below, like it was the level below that league that we, they were, but it was the original tournament and we were like pretty much playing as a farm club of that side and we, we traveled and played a little bit around the the region. And um, yeah, so I played there, I played I played right defender, I played right middle field and I played almost like pretty much everywhere in defense. And um, then after 10 years, I looked at my older friends who played on the, the same level and pretty much they were just going from one team and to another and the reason they were leaving those teams because there was no financing they wouldn't they couldn't support their families and i saw that and and the only way to get out was to go to moscow and to st petersburg but i didn't really we didn't obviously had agents we didn't have any connections so instead of just pursuing the professional career i went to university and i still played for my university and it was again like we played like a, a against all the universities in Siberia, but um, I just went and went to school and pretty much stopped playing professionally and, uh, yeah, just focused on the education. But, uh, yeah, that was my story. Wow. Yeah, well, that's, you, you, you're pointing out something really quite significant there is the, how difficult it is to play in lower league Russian football financially. I mean, we always talk about professional football is this dream come true right and in reality it's only really the top three percent of all professional footballs that can make a living out of it and then retire from it and don't have to worry about work 99.9 percent of all players that have played professional football um, don't they can not retire from that money and a lot of them cannot even live of it and that's that's something that you point out there which is quite fascinating and um, especially in the I guess this would have been the the early 2000s, right? The the lower yeah, league football yeah, yeah. in Russia was in huge trouble and no um, money, no money, right? So you know, this we we've, we've talked a little bit about this in the past on the Football Grad podcast, right, Andrew? But the lower lower league division teams they they're still struggling a lot of times, and the, the travel is one yeah. aspect, but the the lack of money is a is a huge other aspect. Well, it it is really. I mean, it's. It, you, you can be as romantic about sports as you like, but the fact is money does make the world go round and it certainly makes the football world go round. I mean, I was I was at the pre-season press conference for Chuma and my side and, you know, the Feniel is a, it's a vicious, vicious league to get in um, and then stay in and even more vicious to get out of. And he, the, the chairman 
Uh, Alexander Popov, who also runs the mini football club and the ice hockey club, so he's got a lot of a lot of work to do. Um, he said that the budget for Chiman is about 15th out of 20 teams in the FNL, so already they're up against it. And he said the number of players, and this is the frustrating part, you know, they're not saying they should be signing Smoloff if he's available from Krasnodar, but there were premiership quality players who were quite happy to come with sort of facilities, but you know they aren't. They wanted, they wanted an annual salary. I think it was five hundred thousand rubles. I think they said. Um, so you know we're not talking huge sums here, um, and all two men can offer the, the highest earners is about half that. So they've done all the the hard work in one sense. They've got a great new stadium, fantastic training facilities, really nice city, but they just can't get the players in that will take them to the next level. And you talk about the problems of youth football. Um, you know the, the the cost of it and the challenges of getting young players up. The other answer people might say is, "Well, develop the youth." Well, it's like, well, you know, we're talking about one city, and then that is it for hundreds of kilometres, other than the odd village or two. And I'm I'm not exaggerating; I really mean that. The next city, and I'm talking city, is your catching That's three hundred kilometres away. You know, if you're in England, there's a rule that youth players must be must live within, I think it's an hour or ninety minutes drive from where the club is that wants to take them on. Well, that's really not a problem because there is nobody else within 90-minute drive. Um, so developing your youth, it's a very geographically, hmm. financially. There are so many yeah. so many challenges. It's just, um, you know, the lack of stability. And part of that is the governance of the game. Part of it is just the nature of the, ge- the geography and the finances. It means that it's so hard to build a connection to players when they're only going to be staying for a season. Um, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm lucky. You know, I've got the captain, Alexander, uh, so Andrei Pavlenko. He stayed for five years. Hassan and he Martin. follows you on Instagram. And he does. He does. I mean, I think that's probably <laughs> it. But that's probably it. He probably follows me because he realizes, my God, somebody's actually watched me for more than two seasons, you know. So. <laughs> but um, just quick quickly follow up on the kids development uh, system and just to, to follow up on what Andrew said uh, really quick. Uh, it was it was like, you know, the facilities we had when we were training as kids, it was outrageous. It was just horrendous. Just to tell you when, like the way the, the kids football worked in Siberia is that uh, from uh, April to, uh, to October we played a big football and then uh, from November till uh, March we played indoor. So when we started getting ready for the season on the big field, we were training on asphalt with mm. very bad, with very bad balls, and I remember when we played uh, like a training game, one of our guys he was just like really like a fighter. There was a ball going into the empty net, and he slide tackled on asphalt to save the goal in training. So you can see, you can imagine like this is this is what we this is what we were growing up on, like you know playing on asphalt, and all, all our knees and everything was just destroyed from that because you can only play football, you fall over. Mm. So that's the level of youth development. In, in quotation we had yeah that's that's an insane I mean I remember playing on uh, on ash we call it red ash um, in in Germany on a few of the pitches and our legs just looked atrocious after that uh, slide tackling you always do it as a kid right because you yeah. you don't know the pain yet um, 
Yeah. <laughs> Later on, you learn, you learn very quickly that that's not a good idea. But I mean, that's, you both point out some very, very important things here about youth development. And I think Tim, your story is, is quite important because how many players get lost because of the size of the country? The lack of agents, right? The fact that, you know, you played, um, and maybe you could have made it to a big club or not. We, we don't know, right? But we don't know because I didn't have an opportunity. You didn't have the opportunity, right? And that is, I think that is really the, the biggest challenge that Russia faces. It's the size and there is a ton of big cities there that have, uh, youth development and have clubs, but it's just how do you get, um, how do you make that step, you know, from Spartak Novosibirsk, the youth side, to Spartak Moscow? And that is, I think, a, a huge challenge and is something that often gets overlooked. But, you know, I want to, I can yeah, Tim, maybe the last point here. No, 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 go ahead, go ahead. I just wanted to say that you know the, the German youth system better and you can see the difference probably. Yeah, I mean, the difference is also size in a way, right? Uh-huh. Um, it's it's um the, the 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 country is is smaller it's easier to centralize and um and german football system is slightly better than russian <laughs> yeah the, the, well the germans have uh developed a system that is that is uh works very well at the moment and um you know decentralized youth development systems um are quite strong in germany so I, th- I guess there, there is uh, a lot to take away from that. And, um, but I think that all the geography helps. And it be, I mean, it's, it's hard for Russia in, in a way to really deal with that. But I, I want to leave that alone. I want to really quickly about talk about your club because you guys, uh, still haven't signed someone, Tim, but you have won yeah. a game. So that's, that's a good step in the right direction. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. As we speak right now, I, I'm talking about signings. Uh, uh, Spartak is uh, doing medical for a new player. His name is Mario Palasic. I, I hope I pronounced this correct. If he's listening, hopefully he he can forgive me for mispronouncing his last name. Uh, but uh, that's the new player, and this is something that we got uh, excited just like in the last couple of days. That is finally official. But the previous game against Krasnodar, oh, I'm so happy. Uh, Spartak played exactly like they played last year. Very, very emotional game, very attacking with some mistakes in the back, but this is fine because it makes it so much fun. But we played against a great club. Um, it was a very emotional moment because the, uh, the, uh, our second coach, uh, Pilipchuk, he lost his very young daughter uh, at the age of 23. And the fans did a wonderful, wonderful, massive banner, uh, just showing his support uh, to the to the coach. And then for the first five minutes, it was a silence, and the people held up their cell phones. It was a very emotional game, so I think that helped in terms of atmosphere. And the the whole stadium was behind the team, so it was wonderful experience. Do nothing against Krasnodar. Those beautiful free kick from Fernando, and things are going well. We're getting ready for the next game. Excellent. So. You know, that, that makes you go up the table a little bit, um, close the gap to, to the top of the table and, um, a new we'll sign. We'll close it even more next week. Well, you will, yeah, you will have to because when you, and I, that's really where I want to go to next is the, the top of the table. Um, and a bit of, bit of a surprise. I mean, we all expected Senate would be up there, right? Andrew, um, that's not a huge surprise, but the other two teams, Ahmad and uh, Lokomotiv have done very well um, and, you know, have both won all three of the, the games. And um, 
with locomotive in particular, I mean, they do often start well, but they have brought in some changes this season. Or oh, actually, starting last winter already, where they brought Stoffelshaus in as the, the, the sporting director, German, who used to work mm, with Schalke yes. quite significantly. And it seems like that's paying off a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I, I, at the beginning of the season, I thought, let's let's see how these teams are going to do. And I looked at Loco, and I thought, I think there'll be there'll be a dark horses to challenge for European places. And I actually think that's about where they will end up. I don't think they'll quite keep up a title challenge, but they really have surprised me because, yeah, like you say, I mean, in terms of signings, well, Ari was already on loan, um, so you can't really class him as a completely new signing. Um, and, well, I mean, that's, that's almost it. Mache Rebus, he will be a brilliant signing for them. I think it's something like 1.5 million he signed for from from Leon, and of course he knows the Russian league as well. Um, Krikvelia again was on loan, so again not a completely new signing. So really, very little changes. But I think the the best part is that, like you say, Stoffelhaus coming in, and and incidentally, you mentioned him. He's going to be on uh, English language radio tonight at uh, in about a couple of hours' time. So I'm gonna I'm gonna tune into that and see what he has to say. Um, I think long term they're very well set up. You know, we've seen how they made attempts last season to bring fans uh, to the stadium, make the match day experience better, and that all ties in, I think, to the positivity around the club. Um, so them being at the top of the table, wow, yeah, pretty impressive stuff, and especially beating Tisca so professionally and efficiently um, away from home. Um, Alkmaar. They've been sort of they've they've gone about their business quietly. No goals conceded. Uh, in fact, I think they're the only team. Yes, they are the only team not to have conceded this season. But they've only scored four goals. So um, they have these young Brazilians, don't they? Leo Jaba, um, Ravanelli. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing how they'll play. I suspect they're brought in mostly for sell-on value. Nothing wrong with that, I don't think, really. Um, but what it means is there's already pressure on the big sides. I mean. Siska, oh, so Spartak, your team, Tim, only just edging ahead of Oral on goal difference. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> I've got to look, I, I've got to get that in while I can. Oral are not going to be this close to Spartak again all take season. Take a picture, so. take a picture, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did, I did after, um, after two hours of the season because we were in the Champions League places at that point. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, the pressure's on the big boys. I actually, I always class himself as a neutral for the top of the table, being an old owl follower. I, I think it's absolutely brilliant. The pressure's on. Um, but it is only three games into the season. So, you know, we've got to, we've got to see how, get through to the international uh, break, beginning of September, reassess how the teams have qualified for Europe and, and so on. I'm, I'm just delighted to see, I'm delighted to see that there is a bit more mystery, perhaps, to this season. Yeah, and that's really it, isn't it? But, you know, Lokomotiv, I remember two seasons ago, they had a very strong start to the season and they, they tend to do this, right? And then, uh, sort of fizzle out a little bit, um, at the second half of the season. And we often talk about how there really is two halves to the, the Russian Football Premier League, the season before the winter and the season after the winter. And, you almost wonder if, you know, three, three games is really not a lot. I mean, they, they got out of the blocks quickly. 
Um, they don't have, um, they had maybe a bit more time to prepare for the season than other clubs did, not as many national team players at the Confederations Cup. Um, so that's all advantages. But, you know, the real big question, Tim, is really, do you think they can sustain this? Is this maybe the, the time that Lokomotiv can make, make it back to Europe? Look, look, man. They, they like they, they are already in Europe because they, they. Oh, that's they right. The, the cup. cup, yes. The cup. So, so they, they, they are, and that's I, I. This season is the goal again to be in Europe, but in order to analyze Lokomotiv's season, you need to understand the club structure, hmm. and because you know they're they're very connected, obviously, to railroad, and there's quite a few people who make decisions. It's a big organization, Russian railroad. Is you know, as we talked about the size of the country, a lot of people use the railroads. So. The railroad is very, very powerful, and they have quite a few people who make decisions about the club. And see, that doesn't help with stability, because even right now, when the club is doing well, there are always little rumors that there will be a change of the president, a change of the coach, because the fans love Yuri Sermin. He is the club legend, and he brought all the success to the club. But at the same time, there are some people in the in the team management who want to see a, a different coach uh, working for the club, and that if you know if they push that through, and, and you know the president will be gone or the the coach will be gone, it makes another revolution in in Lokomotiv. That means the new players. That it means the whole transition. So you know, Lokomotiv is such a complicated structure. So it's not only football. And sometimes it's not even the sporting the sporting aspect; it's also the management aspect. And to if you know if the way I see, I really respect uh, Yuri Semin, who is like the legendary coach in Russia. And I think that he can the, the level of players he they have, he can definitely bring you know bring the uh, Lokomotiv to Europe to 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 Europa League. But if he will be fired and the team goes from through another transition, you can say so. It's mostly, it's not mostly, but it, it has to do with management and the management decisions which will have. As of right now, if there's no changes, I definitely see Lokomotiv being the uh, um, competitor for Europa League. What about you, Andrew? What's your, what's your thought on that? Well, yeah, I, I think I actually go along with Tim on that because, I mean, Zanita Spartak, it's, it's, it's easy to say those will be top two, and I, I can't really see much else than that, but you know, below that, Cisco struggling was certainly not quite the side they used to be. Krasadar, well, so far they're looking. I mean, they, it was a fantastic game against your side, um, Tim. I mean, Wanderson, this new Brazilian fella, he adds a spark up front, but they might lose Smoloff, and there's talk about that. So, will there be a bit of instability there? Igor Shalomov is still not convincing me as their coach. So, you know, you've got the chasing pack. Are beca- I'd say the chasing pack are becoming closer and closer together. Um, Ruben Kazan, they've, okay, they've only only just won the first game of the season, lost the first two. They will get better without question, and I think they will be there or thereabouts. The question is, who's got staying power? Um, and Loco's squad is not the strongest; it's not the deepest, anyway. Um, but they've shown that as long as they can keep most of their first team relatively fit, that they have um, that they've got as good a chance as anybody. Jefferson Farfan has had a bit of a renaissance. He's almost like a new signing. So I don't see any reason why Loco can't be challenging. Uh, and with that extra European place, it does make it much more interesting. So I really had to stick my neck out. I'd say I think Loco might just miss out, just, but I think it'll be very, very close at this point. Yeah, well, that's something that we're going to watch definitely for the rest of the season. The other team that's up there, 
And we have to finally address the elephant in the room, don't we? Ahmad <laughs> Krosny. Um, they won three out of three. Uh, they are on, on, in that top three pack, but they used to be known as Tarek. And, uh, we were kind of laughing a little bit, all of us, when we saw the name change and, uh, you know, um, when the club was renamed to the former president of Chechnya, Ahmad uh, Kadyrov, um, his son, of course, Ramzam Kadyrov is now in charge of the Republic of Chechnya. And uh, Kadyrov has now renamed the club uh, to his father's name, uh, Ahmad Grosny. Tim, I mean, Chechnya is always a bit of an odd one in Russia. Um, when I lived in Georgia, we got Chechen television and, uh, you know, Ramzan Kadyrov was a, a frequent, um, interview partner on that television station. So I got to see quite a lot of him. It's a bit of an odd one, isn't it? And the, this re change of the, the club name to a personality that is uh, quite controversial, um, it must have raised some eyebrows. Yeah, and like when I first heard, I was really, really surprised. Like I didn't know where that was coming from. But then I did a little bit of research, and actually, it turns out it makes sense because from what I found out, lots of sporting clubs, and especially boxing and wrestling, which have a, which are very, very strong in Chechnya, have the same name of Ahmad. So pretty much the changing the name from Terek to Ahmad was just putting everything under the same roof, under the same name. So like all the sporting. Um, Teams are, are called the same, so I kind of understand. Like I, I maybe you know the you know the the, the name of the, the actual name Ahmad is could be debatable. Depends what kind of political vision you have. But uh, from sporting perspective, it makes sense just to having all the sporting su successful teams on the same name. Um, in terms of personnel, uh, we just also need to mention that the new coach is Alek Kononov, who used to be the the coach of uh, Krasnodar in not that long ago. A good coach. Um, last year, they um, made it the highest ever result in their history uh, when they made it to the fifth fifth spot. Yeah, fifth spot. I think yeah, they were. I think they were fifth last year, yeah, fifth or yeah. sixth. Um, so that was the biggest achievement. So definitely, there's something going on. The the first home game was close to sold out, and they had Ronaldinho and they had all the Russian pop stars uh, on on the opening. So they made a big, 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 big. Um, celebration of that so this is the team which we need to to, to watch out uh, obviously like i don't anybody like none of us would say that they will finish in the champions league but they might be up there again it will be it's a very tough fight this season for the europa league but they 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 will be a very tough team to play because they still have a good strong squad with quite a few strong players like Simeonov, ivanov Rodolfo, there's 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 quality in their squad, and um, it looks like they get the support from from Chechnya. So it will be interesting to watch them again. We cannot make any predictions in in Russian football uh, when we talk about when we talk about the yeah, just like what will happen to the, the specific club. But as of right now, it looks promising from from the for the fans of Ahmad. Yeah, and I mean, uh, Krosny is of course one of those controversial clubs, right? Um, it's. Uh -huh. It's similar to when, when clubs moan about having to travel all the way to the Far East, they also complain about having to go down to the Caucasus because it's a very, very difficult place to play. And, um, you know, we, a lot of people who know a little bit about Russia know that the Caucasus, uh, Chechnya, of course, had uh, two wars 
in the last 20 years since the fall of the Soviet Union. But there's also uh, Dakistan, which have we have often talked about, right, Andrew, on this podcast. So, I mean, Tim, in terms of, you know, for, for clubs going to go to Krosny and to Mahachkala, that's always a very difficult away trip, isn't it? It is. It is because it's a different culture. It is um, like obviously different lifestyle. Of course, they have like this beautiful, um, uh, the beautiful hotel in in uh, in, in in Grozny. But I I'm still not. Um, I remember maybe it, it's not right right now. But if few years back, I think Spartak, when they traveled there, they had to take two trips. They would fly to somewhere else, and then they t- take a bus to, to Grozny, something like that. Or maybe it was with Mahachkala, but like, uh, just to, to follow up, the travel there is not easy. Because it's 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 a bit far away, and then yeah, they just not not every city has a big airport. Um, so the and obviously the the, the fans um, there is unfortunately a bit of a rivalry uh, between Caucasus and like just uh, Moscow, and sometimes that uh, come across in in a form of aggression. And there was quite a few um, really nasty scenarios when locals were throwing stones at the away fans and at the same time when away fans come to moscow the whole stadium would chant a very very aggressive and very very disgraceful things at them so there's a bit of a tribal and that obviously adds the fire to to the actual game because when um uh, Anji or Ahmad now play against Moscow clubs. Those players are fired up because they know what it means to the locals. They know what that means to the club. And those trips are never, never easy. Just to look at Zenit, how many times like they lost twice, I think, in the past couple of years. Uh, wait, uh, at Terek, and those are key games. So it's 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 a very very tough place to go, especially for big clubs. Um, and and my might sound funny because you know the Ahmad or Anji they wouldn't take um, the same passion let's say Skakhabarovsk or uh, Tosno, but when Spartak Zenit or Tsk I would go there the whole city will be fired up and the players will be playing extra extra hard so uh, it's always a very tough place to go and that's why uh, you know that's why it's it will be interesting to watch to for to follow Ahmad this season. Yeah, absolutely. I mean. We- the, the teams from the Caucasus, I think they always are very fascinating one. And just because it's so different, um, you know, you look at Russia mm-hmm. and you look at a country that has, I think it's 194 different nationalities. And the vast majority of those nationalities are located um, in the Far East, of course, but also in the Caucasus, which is a geographically very small place, but it's very, very diverse. And Chechnya is one of those, one of those cauldrons, right? That, um, because of the diversity of nationalities that live there is always seems to be at a boil, um, similar to the Balkans in, in Europe. And that makes it, you know, a very passionate place, but also, um, a difficult place and sometimes even a dangerous place to play football at. And UEFA, yes. UEFA doesn't allow games there, um, because it thinks it's dangerous. Um, and it is, it can be dangerous. There's, there's terrorist attacks. There's, um, it's a, it's a volatile area. So it's a, it's an interesting one. And it'll be very fascinating to see if Tarek ever get, or sorry, Ahmad ever get into the Europa League or maybe even the Champions League, how UEFA will deal with that. But I'm, I'm, yeah. Uh, yeah. Unfortunately, from what I heard, they're not allowed to play. They would have to play in Moscow if they make it to Europa League. Yeah, that that would be sensible in a giveaway, I guess. Uh, someone who doesn't have to worry about um, playing a home or away in Europa League in 
Champions League and uh, probably doesn't have to worry about reaching the Champions League this season uh, is Senate. And um, Andrew, money, money, money. That's really what Senate are right now. And it's the investments are staggering that oh, are happening there. Just a bit, just a bit, money. I mean, I just, um, I, like you, you, you mentioned before the pod, I mean, how? I just, I don't understand how it fits in. I mean, you know, financial fair play has, you know, it's, it's a, one of those controversial topics. Some people don't believe it's just more of a self-serving thing to satisfy the, um, the top clubs, but it's really taken a hold. It took a hold on Dynamo Moscow most famously a couple of years ago. How on earth Zanit are going to spend all this money? And they really are. It's, it's really strange. The difference between this season and last, um, and the flood of Argentinian players coming in, I just, I, I don't know how they're going to satisfy the foreigners ruling within Russian football, financial fair play within continental football. Um, I mean, you can only assume if they have any intention of balancing the books or balancing the number of, you know, Russians to to foreigners in the squad, they're going to have to have a hell of a lot of outgoing transfers in the next few weeks. And, um, it's just maddening keeping track of them. The only worrying thing is for other teams is that they are looking very, very strong, and their squad depth is is, is very is very intimidating. Really, the only area I think they need to work on is their defence. But even then, they have uh, Ivan Novotselsev, who's, who's barely featured for them yet, and he's a quality young player. Um, so if they actually decide to start trusting him, then that's another player they've got to to count upon. Um, the, with Zanit, there's it, it's a double-edged sword of them, isn't it, really? You mentioned they shouldn't have to worry about qualifying, qualifying for the Champions League. And sort of on, on the pitch, yes, I completely agree. They If they don't seal their Champions League passage, given that it's now three places, if they don't seal it comfortably, then I'd be, I'd be amazed. But with it comes the pressure to actually do that. I know it sounds silly, but you know they, the games, like you mentioned, against Terek, against Angie away... Um, the distances they have to travel to, you know, Siberian clubs. And Zanit coming to Yekaterinburg next Wednesday. Okay, they're not one of the best sides, but they're on very good form. They're playing very well, very confidently. Um, so the pressure's on them to win every game. And it's it might sound like it's, uh, I know, whinging when you're in a strong position, but when you're a strong club that is so, so above the the level of talent that other teams have, the pressure is seriously, seriously difficult. Teams play more defensively. You've got to break them down even more, and the pressure is on. So, um, certainly, we'll get Champions League football. I will put my neck on the line and say it, but um, only because I think they have the character to do so, not just because of the quality of their squad. Well, what they need also are getting uh, is lots of Argentinians. The, uh, I've just I just checked just now, and they just completed. Well, yesterday the big signing was. Um, Emmanuel Mamana from Olympic Lyon, 21 year old Argentinian, uh, center back, um, who was number three, uh, after Sebastian Druisi, who they signed from River Plate for 15 million euros, and, uh, Leandro Paredes, who they signed from, uh, as Roma for 23 million. And this is, um, it, it looks like it's done now. Emiliano Rigoni, a right winger. Who's, who they are bringing in from Independiente for 9.5 million euros. That's number four, the fourth Argentine signing, Tim. Um, A, that should make you worried. And B, what is Mancini doing? And there's a curious co-vote that we talked off air, um, about Mancini 
seems to be a bit obsessed with uh, Argentine footballers right now. Yeah, A, I am worried because they're buying crazy good players and spending a lot of money and foreigners and uh, some Russian players. What Mancini is doing, I have no idea. And I think we will be able only to evaluate his transfer decisions on the September 1st of 2017 when the transfer window is open. Because as of right now, I'm looking at the squad. They will have a very tough time uh, fitting into the, the, into the foreigners' limit. They have a wonderful, amazing squad of players with like all those new signings, and it's it's just it's extremely strong squad, amazing squad. But I, I'm I'm still curious how would they will manage um, uh, the 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 foreigners' rule because they don't have like they have they obviously have enough Russians to fit it in, but in terms of the quality. Will the quality will be there, and how then Mancini would deal with all those foreigners who, who who he brought in, and then how would he satisfy their like you know their the, like how how they will be on the bench and how he will manage that? So for me, I'm very afraid and very well, yeah, it's it's getting tough because they buy in uh, they they go in like all in. Uh, for for this season and the players they're bringing and the money spending is unbelievable. My only hope for you know, like obviously from Spartak point of view, that um, the um, again like the Mancini won't be able to handle that big of a talent and so many egos on the benches, and that would cause some kind of um, you know not some kind of misunderstandings between between the players and the coach. That's the only hope. If that doesn't happen, I think nothing stops them from taking the league this year. Yeah, they have eleven legionaries now, Andrew, and, and that's you know that doesn't just end with the four Argentines that they've signed, um, and you only are allowed to field six. So um, you know it's it's a tight tight rope that they're walking, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I mean, it is, but the only thing I'd say is they I, they have actually started to get rid of some of the foreigners from the squad who weren't really playing much. And in fact, I, th- I believe they actually have fewer foreigners than they did um, halfway through last season. Um, you know, they've got rid of Mauricio to, I believe he's gone to Saudi Arabia. Um, Luka Djordjevic has left on loan. So, um, you know, that's helped. And I'm sure we will see more. I mean, I I have a suspicion we're going to see um, uh, Javi Garcia uh, leave. I, I'm not convinced he's going to stay now, given the signings they've made and the signings they're rumoured to be making. I heard Sebastian Ascasibar is is very close to signing as well, and he's another defensive midfielder, and of course another Argentinian. Um, <laughs> but, you know, but Andrew- so- I, I think yeah. it's not about the foreigners now. It's about the Russian players. Like they have, like they have amazing foreigners. Foreigners, but at the same time, how many Russian players they can have consistently playing five players in mm. the league, so they don't break the rule? I think you have to look from the other angle. Well, no, I, you, you do. You do make a very good point there, Tim. Because I think even just the Russians, I think they've made some some brilliant signings um, uh, this summer. You know, bringing in. The, uh, the the Rostov three or Rostov four, so even um, Polas, I think, is one of the most exciting attacking players, Russian or foreign, in the league. Counter attacking forwards, there are very few as good as him. Um, 
and he's barely played a game yet, and yet Zanita's still looking powerful. Um, Kokorin's had a bit of a renaissance so far this season, being played more sensibly. Um, Yerokin, he offers a good option when you need to rotate the squad, bit of size um, if you want to push him further forward. Um, I mean, Daria Kuzyaev, I, I didn't realise he had such a good long shot on him um, yeah. until he scored against Skar Khabarovsk. So, um, yeah, I mean, they, they've reinforced very well from the Russian point of view as well, Tim, you're right. Um, so, I don't know. I think um, it's, it's not going to be dull. It's not going to be no. dull. Um, but I think you're right, Tim. I, I have to say, Zanit are really, really looking strong. It's going to be close, I think, between you and Zanit this season. But um, I don't really want to say who I think is going to win the league at this point because it's just there's so many tangibles that haven't been um, haven't been made clear yet about how Zanit are going to move forward. So. Um, yeah, I certainly am a big fan of the recruitment they've made, Russian and foreign. Um, absolutely. Yeah, Andrew, I need to, to wrap it up pretty soon. But what do you think, um, Sunit, you know, they won their first leg quite comfortably against the Israeli side, Neyuda, playing, of course, on Thursday. They should go through very easily. And with all these new signings that they're making, um, could be even one of the favorites to take the Europa League title this year. Yeah, I think so. The squad is very, like, like we just discussed, the squad's very deep, a lot of quality, and they've done the hard work by getting two away goals um, in the first leg. Kokorin getting that late one in the 90th, 91st minute, whatever it was, I'd actually say that's a very important goal because it will allow them um, tomorrow night to perhaps rotate a few players. They're in a very strong position. They'll get through, and if their draw is kind and there aren't too many difficult journeys, then they really could be one of the favourites. I agree with you. Yeah. What do you think uh, of Krasnodar? I mean, they, um, they leaked an away goal. That could be dangerous, um, for the second leg. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Dave, they've got the hardest, well, I say hardest of the three teams playing midweek, um, uh, Tisco, Zanita and Krasnodar. They've certainly got the hardest job, but the, I mean, I've been speaking to a few Danish football experts about Lingby and they're, they're a club in a lot of trouble. Um, they're, they're only trying to sell the, They're on the verge of bankruptcy yet again, um, and they, they they're not likely to hold on to most of their players. Um, but they might sniff an opportunity, so uh, we'll have to see. Um, I think on balance they they're comfortable enough. Um, Krasnodar, they play anything like they played against Spartak at the weekend, and they should be comfortable. They should should score a couple, I think. Yeah, well, we're definitely going to keep an eye on that. Those games are, of course, on, on Thursday. If you want to read up on them, they, the previews are on um, footballgrad.com. But yeah, Andrew, other than those previews that you did, um, what do you have to pluck this week? Well, I mean, I'll be doing, I'll be doing more, more previews, of course, for, for Football Grad as the season progresses. But um, I've, I've just been part of a very interesting little mini-series on these football times of uh, 50 great players from 50 nations. And that will be, that'll be published online in a couple of weeks' time. So keep your eyes open for that. Um, uh, yeah, so that's been one of the projects I've been working on recently. Fantastic stuff. So I uh, definitely keep an eye out on that. Tim, you don't have a festival to plan anymore. So what's going on in your life? 
Yeah, first time in since forever, I can plug an actual football grad article, a football-related thing. Yeah, like I'm uh, check out the um, the article which we talked about. It's about Chikalovitz Novosibirsk, my home club, and the Siberian derby. And please check out the video which is in in that in that um, in that article. Um, it's it's a review of the game of between Zarya, uh, Lenin's Kuznetsky, and Dynamo Moscow, and it's so 90s. It's so Siberia. Mm-hmm. It just just watch it for the culture sh- culture shock effect. Yeah, I did, I did watch this video because when I posted it on the article and I thought, yep, that's definitely a culture shock. It's uh, reminded me of my old uh, Lithuanian-built television that I had in my apartment in Kiev. And uh, <laughs> it's definitely worth checking out. Um, yeah, on my part, you can follow me at Manuel Ref. Um Please send us questions. If you have any questions about this podcast or things that you want us to discuss, uh, let us know at Football Grab Live is where you can get in contact with us. And um, there's tons of articles going up um, on all three homepages. So they can all be found at Football Grab Live, including our two other podcasts, the Gegenpressing podcast about the Bundesliga and Golazzo Liga and Max. Those are already available on our ACAST channel. And you can also find us on um, iTunes under the Football Grab Network. All the podcasts are available there as well. Well, that's it for us this week. Um, until next week, dos vidanje. the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.